I'm so excited that I finally got to sit down today with Olympic silver medalist Dotsie Bausch, who is a cyclist, and she also is a vegan, and we got to talk about her advocacy with Switch for Good. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about high performance and well-being, and I'm your host, Sonia. And if you're new around here, I am a world and multi-time national champion in mountain biking, and I still race professionally. I'm a health and mental performance coach, a writer, a mom of two little kids, and I own my own business. And if you're not new around here, welcome. I'm so glad that you're back, and I'm so grateful that you are a part of this awesome community and that we get to learn and grow together. I don't know if it's courage. I'm just pissed all the time at what they do. (laughs) (laughs) That's really the truth. Like, it's just, I've fueled a little bit from anger. And I think that was very much in the beginning. And honestly, I think that the work that we did and the way that we presented ourselves to the world was angry in the beginning, which is not a great way to bring in the 95%, right? Like they don't want to hear like activists screaming at them. So we've, we've, we've definitely matured and changed our approach in so many ways. But I really believe that dairy will be the first animal-based food to fold. It is teetering. It is barely hanging on. Hope you all are doing well this week. And I am really excited about today's podcast because I've been following Dotsie's work for a very long time. If you've seen Game Changers, you will see that she is a main person being featured in that film. And Dotsie has been doing so much off the bike. As many of you know, I've been plant-based for about 12 years, so always getting to talk with like-minded individuals and to plug into why we do this in the first place can be really helpful. Things that just become so automated and simple for one person might seem like a change somebody else wants to make that feels impossible. And maybe you are interested in plant-based nutrition, maybe you're interested in being kinder to animals, maybe you're interested in helping the environment. All of these reasons are ways that people have gotten into plant-based or eating just with a plant slant in their diet. So at the height of the Got Milk campaign, which many of us remember, Dotsie found herself appalled at the assumption that dairy milk created successful athletes. She shares her inspiring journey of overcoming adversity, conquering anorexia, and finding solace and strength in cycling. While her transition to a plant-based diet was initially fueled by ethical convictions, it ultimately led her on a quest for improved health and performance. She's also doing incredible work with Switch for Good, which is a nonprofit organization she founded to promote plant-based eating and challenge the dairy industry's status quo. And boy, is it being challenged right now. Plus, she is rocking her advocacy to the Add Soy Act and its potential to provide healthier non-dairy options in schools. Dotsie's journey to founding Switch for Good was catalyzed by a pivotal moment during the 2018 Winter Olympic Trials. Witnessing a commercial perpetuating the myth of dairy's necessity for athletic success, Dotsie herself, an Olympic silver medalist, felt compelled to take action against the pervasive influence of the dairy industry. With a team including Academy Award-winning documentarian Louis Saihos and five other dairy-free Olympians, Dotsie produced a powerful commercial showcasing their athletic achievements fueled by plant-based nutrition. This is profound because it took so much courage for Dotsie and her team to produce this powerful commercial because going against the norm, going against what everybody else is saying can be very scary. 
This grassroots initiative swiftly evolved into Switch for Good, a woman-led nonprofit organization amplifying the voices of over 400 dairy-free athletes and medical experts. Through disruptive messaging, impactful campaigns, and unwavering advocacy, Switch for Good continues to challenge conventional narratives surrounding dairy consumption, advocating for dietary justice, planetary health, and animal welfare. Through poignant anecdotes and powerful insights, Dotsie sheds light on the health, environmental, and ethical implications of dairy consumption, advocating for a more compassionate and sustainable world. Her story is one of resilience, determination, and unwavering commitment to make a difference. You will gain valuable perspectives on competition, compassion, and the transformative power of plant-based living. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, I am very excited and have no doubt that this episode will be another powerful one for you. Dotsie's journey has always inspired me to challenge norms, to embrace change, and live with purpose, and I hope that it does the same for you. Today, you're going to hear about Dotsie's story from battling anorexia to Olympic glory, which in and of itself is an amazing story. We talked about why and how she chose to go a plant-based path and how she formed Switch for Good. You get to hear about the bold campaigns and disruptive messaging that are revolutionizing the way that we think about plant-based eating and sparking a wave of compassion and conscious choices. We also talk about the harsh truth of dairy's inflammatory effects and its link to widespread health issues. And last, we talked about the Add Soy Act, which is adding a non-dairy option in schools, offering hope and well-being for the next generation. I don't know about you, but many, many years ago, a decade or more ago, there was hardly any plant-based milk options in the store. It was only dairy milk. And now whenever you go, it's mostly plant-based milk and just a little bit of dairy. So I am very encouraged to see this transition. I came to plant-based nutrition for health reasons, and I know all of the serious health implications of eating dairy or eating a lot of dairy. So I'm very happy that people are are consuming less. If you're interested in plant-based nutrition, I've been doing this podcast for almost seven years, which is hard to imagine. So I've had a variety of doctors and athletes and researchers on the show talking about plant-based nutrition. Go to sonyalooney.com slash podcasts, go to the drop-down menu and select plant-based, and you will find a wealth of information getting to hear from all different types of people. And I know that for me, whenever I first discovered plant-based and and vegan living, I was turned off. I had come across a lot of people that seemed judgmental and harsh, and I was not interested in even hearing about it. And it wasn't until I met my now husband who told me that he was eating this way that I would even consider this idea. So if this is something that you are even just a little bit interested in, and maybe you've been turned off by it in the past, Getting to hear different stories in different ways can be a gateway into making change in your life that can positively impact your health, the planet, and other beings. Okay, so let's get into it. Here is Dotsie Bausch. Dotsie, I'm so excited to get to chat with you because we have so much in common and I am in such admiration of the work that you're doing. Well, thanks. And like you said a moment ago to me privately, it's just really strange that we haven't met before because we do have <laughs> quite a bit in common. We both like two wheels a whole lot and uh, both plant-based athletes. And it's just exciting to be together and, and get to have this conversation. So thank you. Yes. I guess to start, I'd love to hear two stories. One, your journey as an athlete to becoming an Olympian and you, you won a gold medal. Is that correct? I won a silver silver medal. Um, and uh, hopefully that, that doesn't <laughs> strike a nerve. Um, you no, know, so, no, not at all. Okay, it was, it was, I was, okay, I would have okay. taken any color. Freak, freaking <laughs> awesome. So I'd love to hear your journey as a cyclist to becoming an Olympic 
a silver medalist and also your journey to becoming plant-based. And those two journeys kind of met and concluded with this incredible performance and beyond. Yes, they they did. The the, the journey to becoming an athlete or becoming an Olympian was uh it was it was long and windy and and as they always are. But the beginning of my story was fraught with uh almost losing my life to anorexia and through healing from anorexia is actually how I found cycling and found the bike. So I'm grateful now that I'm a hundred percent, I'll say hundred percent well, hundred percent healed. Like I, I and I, I have no fear of, of going back to those days. They were also now a very long time ago, uh, 25, 27 years ago, but I am, I'll always be grateful for fighting through that because as I was towards the end of my healing journey, like my, everybody's healing journey is usually packed with a thousand million ups and downs. So mine was the same. It was, you know, is in and out of rehab and in and out of uh, treatment centers. And, you know, I'm going to get better. I can't get better. I don't want to get better, all the stuff. And so towards the end of my healing journey with the therapist that finally, I finally connected with and who I give credit for saving my life, she said to me at the end, I mean, we were, you know, only had probably worked together five more times after this session. And she said, you know, I, I feel like you're really ready to start to be able to move your body in a healthy way again. Cause I hadn't, I had oh, the over-exercise part of anorexia and would spend, you know, eight hours a day in the gym, elliptical treadmill, you know, all of the stuff, weights, everything. And so she said, because of your history, I think you could probably do anything, uh, you know, be, be, do it, have it be any type of exercise because you're, you're strong in body and mind now, but I would prefer you pick something that you don't have any negative connections to, you know, that you weren't over-exercising during your anorexic time. And so I really just very quite randomly chose the bike. I said, well, I had recently moved out to Los Angeles and it was January and I noticed that it was 75 and sunny in the middle of January and I hate to be cold. And so I thought, well, how glorious would it be to be able to ride my bike here 365 days a year? And I just had this, for some reason, this, this pull to ride my bike up Pacific Coast Highway and into the Santa Monica Mountains and through Malibu and all of the, the beauty that is that scape of the, the mountains that just kind of burst out of the Pacific Ocean. And I think I just created this story in my head that I'll just, you know, just, I, I don't know what I thought I was going to do, ride my bike every day. And literally that's what I started doing. <laughs> and so it was a really unconventional entry into the sport because I was 26 at the time, which is like grandma age for, you know, somebody starting a sport to then make it to the Olympic games. But, oh, I, I fell in love with it from day one. I'm glad I picked it. I'm really glad I didn't pick, pick like gymnastics or volleyball or something because I wouldn't have made it in those sports, I don't think. But it was it, then, then it was about a 14 year journey to the podium. But of course, when I, you know, started, it wasn't anything like, oh, I'm going to like try to make it to the Olympics. No, no, no. That was much, much later. And uh, a few broken collarbones later. And, you know, you know, the journey, <laughs> lot, lots of hard work, a lot, lot of suffering and a lot of joy, but yeah, I don't know. Then there, there I was in, in London. And so now that your listeners know a little bit about my story, you'll know why I'm very thrilled with silver. <laughs> Top 10 would have been fine. You know, I mean, I wasn't one of those that grew up and, you know, was five years old and were like, I'm going to win an Olympic gold medal. It was, it was just, it was just a joy to even be considered uh, for the team. Absolutely. Yeah. 
it's always interesting talking about results because everybody has a different relationship with results. And like, Mm. sometimes you hear, you know, well, there's actually research that about like, what place people came in their level of satisfaction. And that's not the case for everybody. And then there's people who, you know, they won a medal, but there was like something that happened and it wasn't how they had hoped. And yeah, I think that the the gratitude that you bring for your journey and and the pride, like I think that that is so admirable and and so needed. Like something that I'm really passionate about is learning how to celebrate our achievements because it's it's really hard for many people yeah. to do, and it's it's never quote good enough. So yeah, yeah, it's it's amazing to hear somebody say like I'm dang proud of my and, and I mean you should as you should be a freaking silver medal in the Olympics is amazing. Um, well, the research does tell us from the Olympic Games that the silver medalists leave the Olympics the most depressed athletes of all the athletes, including all the ones that didn't win a medal because they lost their finals, right? Mm-hmm. I lo- I was in the gold medal mm-hmm. final and we lost, whereas the bronze medalists won their final. Mm-hmm. So that's it kind of you know unique when you think about it. It's like, oh, I could see how that happened. But ugh, yeah, I mean, of course we wanted to win the final, but the British kicked our butts and the queen and the princes and all were there watching it. So we (laughs) just waved to them and took our, and this is really my favorite part of the medals from the London Olympics. The gold medals are silver medals dipped in gold. Wow. So they really have silver medals too. That's right. I (laughs) I know they're not solid gold, right? So because the gold got so expensive. So (laughs) I don't know. There's so many things I want to ask about your journey, but there's so many other things to talk about. So I think we'll just move on to talking about how you found eating plant-based. And I'd also be interested to hear, you know, with a a previous or past history of anorexia, like some people will say, oh, you know, people with a a past, you know, eating disorder, Mm -hmm. disordered form of eating should not be eating a quote restrictive diet. So I'd love to hear about that too. Right. Well, I think health and wellness and performance are fantastic reasons to try a plant-based diet, to learn about it and, you know, try it, you know, either all in or, 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 or slowly change over. But I think the stickiness, if you will, of the diet and sustaining it, you have to eventually find the ethics because it's there's not another choice if the ethics are involved, in my opinion, anyway, and for me. And I, I actually came in through the ethics route, not through health and performance, because nobody mm-hmm. thought it was going to enhance uh, health <laughs> or performance, <laughs> you know, 15 years ago. So I just, you know, lots of people have been on your podcast that have probably, you know, expressed this. It was literally just you know, the, the wool was pull, pulled off, you know, that I opened my eyes and saw what I saw and said, I can't be a party to this. This, this just can't be a part. I can't love something and then kill it needed. I mean, that just doesn't make any sense. So it was a pretty quick transition. I was a couple years out from Olympic games, not really knowing what was going to happen. Oh, um, it takes so much courage to do that. Well, it's, I just had this, I mean, thank you, but I, you know, it, you, I just had this feeling inside. I'm doing the right thing. I'm, I'm following my heart. I'm living in peace and love and acceptance. And it just can't go wrong. I always had this like thing in the back of my head, like it just can't go wrong. I, I, I don't know, maybe it could have, but so with that living in my 
consciousness on a daily basis, I wasn't that scared. I wasn't that worried. You know, I, I knew enough because, you know, you you know, nutrition to some degree, it, like as an athlete, right? You're having to pay attention to it. You have to focus on it. I mean, I always call it force feeding because when you're, you know, at that level, you're having to put in 5,000 calories a day, 6,000 calories a day. So you're really having to look at what you need to do to repair and replenish. So I already knew enough. I knew that all foods had protein. Well, not all foods, but many, you know, plant-based foods had protein. You know, I just knew that it, I mean, I knew it didn't have to come from an animal. I already knew that. It's not like that was like, oh, shocking. So it was just, it was just kind of tweaking it and figuring it out. I already loved grains, beans, and veggies. I just had a taste for them. So I I had a little bit of an easier journey than people are like, I hate the taste of everything green or I hate the taste. You know, I I already liked it. I already ate that way to some degree, but I just also ate dead things and secretions from dead things. So that, that I just, okay, I could just take that out and still get the nutrients I need. And as we all know now, it's not 15 years ago, it's easy peasy. I mean, it's it's not, it's not even a, a question on if it's, or Will you get better? Yes, you will. Everything changes in the most positive way. And I feel it all the way to today, right? Just just being a recreational cyclist and and just enjoying staying fit and exercising. I mean, it just keeps, I feel like I always want to say like it keeps me sparky. Like it's it's just, it's such, it is lighter food. I do eat, we eat a lot more volume of food, right? As, as, as plant-based people, but I can, I can eat like a large volume of plant-based food and just like, like a spark plug. You're just out the door on the bike or out the door, going down to the beach or out the door. Like, I just always feel like I have energy to do whatever I want. And that was not the case at all. When I was eating animals, not the case at all. I used to wake up in the morning feeling lethargic and overtrained and tired. And I used to say it was, it's, it, it felt like you were hungover, you know, at work, a training hangover, it feels like an alcohol hangover, right? Like you're foggy and, you know, cobwebby and just like, where's the coffee? And, uh, and you just complain for like two hours before you get out on the bike and that everything changed as far as that just woke, woke out, you know, got out of bed and was like, All right, let's go. Yeah, your energy and vitality are definitely like I can see it in your eyes. I can see it in the way that you show up to life and for the energy that you bring to everything that you do. And I think that that's a really good point that I, for some reason, wasn't able to connect is people always ask me like, well, how do you do so much? Like you're, you're, you take on so much, like, how are you doing it? And I said, well, it's like how I manage my time or, but then I just realized when you're talking like, oh, wait, it's, it's not just time management. It's like having the energy to do it. So thanks for helping me. Yeah put words to that. <laughs> so speaking of energy, let's talk about Switch for Good. Like how did like tell everybody what it is and and how it started. Yeah, so Switch for Good is a, a nonprofit organization that I started in well, a group of us started in 2018 and I ended up as the executive director, but it did not start with the intention of forming an organization by any stretch of the matter at all. It started because some athletes, some of us came together uh, around in 2018, the, the Pyeongchang, the Winter Olympics in Pyeongchang were going to happen uh, in, that, in that, that February. And there were a group of us that were just I don't know. We just had kind of an awakening in terms of we had been sold the lie for so long training at the Olympic training centers in the US that dairy, what does a body good, right? That 
And then we had been sold even a bigger lie that it's going to get you to the podium. And then it's going to be your vehicle to win medals, which is just sort of insane when you really break it down, like what dairy is and how that could possibly like, maybe the cow could win a medal, but what the hell? And we're going to get into that. Yeah. And I want to get into that in a minute too. Cause okay. people might be wondering like, well, milk does about like, how, I don't get it. So, but yeah. Yeah. Continue. Right. Yeah, sure. <laughs> no, I, it could. Why? So some people don't know this or m- many people don't know this, that the United States and New Zealand are the only countries in the world that uh, whose Olympic teams are not government funded. So they have to go out and get private sponsors. So the U.S. Olympic team had the dairy industry as a title sponsor for 10 years, which is about the whole 10 years that I was really in the program and in the system training, you know, as, as we headed towards the Olympic Games. So it was highly pressed upon us. The recovery bar in the Olympic Training Center cafeteria in Colorado Springs in my day was only dairy. It's, I mean, it's white food. It was just white food, right? Because it was cottage cheese and it was yogurt and it was milk and it was whey protein. Oh, sorry. There were some eggs on there. So only animal foods, only things that came out of an animal were what we could recover from. Now I've heard it's changed and there's some lovely plant-based options on the recovery bar at the Olympic Training Center. But so it was just, you know, just this, this, um, seated belief for, for, for so long. And so we just said, what if we were to put an, a commercial on the closing ceremonies of the Olympic games in 2018 and told the truth? Like we just all felt like we need to stand up and tell the truth. And I think most of us thought it was a one-off. Like we would film this commercial. We got some funders and incredible, you know, cinematographer, like just a, a beautiful group of humans that were with us and wanting to tell the truth. And we said, okay, we got to buy, you know, this airtime on NBC is very expensive because it's the closing ceremonies of the Olympics. And uh, so we we're only able to afford six cities to air this commercial in. And so it's the night it's supposed to air. I'm in Los Angeles, right? So I'm going to see it last. So it airs in Washington, D.C. It's supposed to run across the country, you know, Atlanta, Dallas, uh, Denver. And I don't see it in Los Angeles. I mean, we're all there. We're having a party. We're on Twitter party. Everything's going. It's just nothing. Just doesn't show up. We know exact airtime, right? It was 752.30. Yes, I still remember. (laughs) And so next morning, call NBC. They were very cagey with their response, but basically the dairy industry called and said, take that off. And who are you going to listen to? Our money that we only gave them one time that they're probably not going to ever get from us again, or the dairy money who's, you know, maybe keeping them in business during the Olympics. So I'll be forever grateful to the dairy industry for that one reason, because I don't think Switch for Good would have started if they hadn't gotten kicked off. But you're an athlete, you know, that directly going against of telling the truth and being able to share. I mean, it's, it's supposed to be free to free. <laughs> We're supposed to have freedom, right? In the in the press and and being able to 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 share uh, in a uh, especially in a vehicle like that. And we had paid the money to do it, and that the you know Big Dairy won that battle. But I'm glad that they did what they did because it inspired us that we really needed to do so much more. And so you know, long story short, like lots of conversations ensued and, and, and we, we started switch for good and we're still here. We're still alive. We're still thriving. We're, we're still fighting. The the first year was kind of like, Whoa, what's happening. I don't know how to run an organization. Like I, <laughs> I've been consulting in sports technology before, after, uh, I retired as an athlete. So it was, it was very scary 
to me the first couple of years, like way scarier than being an athlete and, and trying to go to the Olympics. You know, I, I felt like I, you know, knew how to do that. I didn't, but anyway, I'm getting more seasoned and we have an incredible team and we do all sorts of different styles of work. When we started, it was almost in, entirely focused on behavior change, but now we do food policy work. We do governmental policy change work with our Ad Soy Act. We do a lot of, of billboard, like disruptive billboards, telling the truth, we just all sorts of different styles now and reaching a lot of people. Yeah, I, I keep hearing that uh, a strength of yours is courage. Like to be able to do the things that you've done requires an immense amount of courage and, and optimism. I want to ask you whenever that ad went out and the and you're going up against Big Dairy, whose pockets are are mm. infinite. How did you not give up? Because I think a lot of people would say, well, it's hopeless. Yeah. Like I'm never going to be able to take this down. Right. Yeah. I don't know if it's courage. I'm just pissed all the time at what they do. That's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> really the truth. Yeah. Like it's just, I've fueled from a little bit from anger. And then, and I think that was very much in the beginning. And honestly, I think that the work that we did and the way that we presented ourselves to the world was angry in the beginning, which is not a great way to bring in the 95%, right? Like they don't want to hear like activists screaming at them. So we've, we've, we've definitely matured and, and, and changed our approach in so many ways, but I really believe that dairy will be the first animal-based food to fold. It is teetering it is barely hanging on. 73% of the dairy industry's income comes from our federal government in the subsidies. Our tax dollars, we're paying for it. And plant-based milk market is almost 20% of the market. Whereas like if you compare it to like the plant-based meat market, that's 2.5%. People, consumers are choosing alternatives. Why? Because dairy makes them feel like shit. That is what I have realized over the last three years that I definitely didn't necessarily know on day one. I'm white as hell and I can drink a gallon of milk and not get sick. I am not lactose intolerant. I am lactase persistent. My, my lactase enzyme stayed on because my ancestors were the first ones that thought it was a genius idea to milk a cow, right? So I I am the weird one is I think that's very important to say lactose intolerance is totally normal. That lactase enzyme is designed in our bodies to turn turn off after breastfeeding years because we don't need to, I think, digest, right? The, the, that, that sugar in uh, our mother's breast milk anymore. And so because it makes so many people feel crappy. What we've noticed at Switch for Good is that if they take it out, if people take it out, first of all, just if they're lactose intolerant, it's like a complete game changer because there's so many gnarly, what do you want to call them, side effects to lactose intolerant. I mean, people just feel terrible. But they think that a lot of people, we've been sold the lie that we need it. So a lot of people will just suffer through it and take a pill. And it's like, no, you. There's other. there's other foods with these nutrients. And, you know, you can... So because it's such a game changer, people get really interested and really excited really fast, which I hope, and, and many people it does, leads them to the other animal foods. They start getting curious. They start wanting to feel even better. Oh my gosh, I can feel this much better. Could I feel even better? Because the catalyst of, let's say, if you just took turkey out, you're not, you're, it's not going to be as much of a game changer on your first week. I mean, people are, lives are completely changed sometimes in 24 hours. If they are highly intolerant to dairy or if they have an allergy, God forbid, right? Some people do and they don't even realize it, right? That they just are, 
they get really fired up really, really fast. So now in the beginning, it was like, oh, this is a tough entry point because there's so many vegetarians and people love cheese and yogurt and all, but it's an incredible entry point for people if they're willing to do it. And so many are who are suffering instantly. They feel like a new human and then they just, you know, they're on fire for ditching dairy. And then, you know, what, what else, what's next? Which is kind of cool. Yeah. And I think for some people it is really hard to, or it used to be really hard to give it up because like there weren't good plant-based cheese options, for example, that were meltable or they didn't have, you know, plant-based creamers. So like you couldn't effectively like steam a, a, like a soy milk or an oat milk that would taste good point, you know, that texture for like a cappuccino or something. And now they have those things. So I think that makes it even easier to switch. A thousand percent. I mean, what they have nailed the, the, the plant-based milk producers is they have nailed the taste of plant-based milk. And there's 17 of them to choose from, right? <laughs> so like whatever you're looking for, right? If you, I like ice cold rice milk in my cereal and I like almond milk in my smoothies and I like oat milk in my <laughs> lattes and I like soy milk, if I want to recover and have like a lot of protein and a you know, good amount of carbs and some fat. But, uh, and that is different in the meat department. It's, I, you know, I think they've done a great job. I don't, you know, you and I aren't looking for something to taste like meat, but it hasn't necessarily been nailed yet. Like the plant-based milks have. So that's just skyrocketing. So just fluid milk, people aren't after that anymore. I mean, they're just not buying it. They would, the dairy industry would fold overnight if we pulled the subsidies. I mean, Mm -hmm. we know the numbers, so it's not that people are, but cheese and cheese mainly I mean, I think they've nailed yogurt too, personally, but cheese is, cheese is, is, you know, people are addicted to it because rightfully so is the case of morphine. Like we know that, but I think they've done, they've certainly made great strides. And I think, I think we'll get there. You know, I think we still, people still want that hard cheese. That's what I don't think we've nailed mm-hmm. yet. Right. Like the, that, like a Menchego. Mm-hmm. But anyway, we're getting, we're getting very close. <laughs> so I wrote down a bunch of things because the switch for good website is I was, really impressed after spending some time on there, how oh. the information is conveyed and what a wide amount of, inf- like a wide range of information available to people, no matter where they're coming from. Um, so I'm going to read a quick little list here and that way people yes. kind of have an idea. And this is not a conclusive list of what's on the website. And then I want you to pick one that you want to run with that you're feeling particularly passionate okay. about today. Okay. Okay. So I, I do have the Ad Soy Act, which I, I definitely want to talk about and then I have like dairy in the planet, dairy in performance, dairy in health, dairy in kids, dairy in racism, dairy in animal cruelty. There's so many ways that switching away from dairy benefits the world. And right. anyone listening can come at it from any one of these angles that they're passionate about and make a massive difference. Yeah. No, that's so true. That I mean, so we kind of, when we started, we said, you know, we wanted to create kind of the pillars that we stand for that we want to help or make a difference in. And so all of our work is centered around making a difference for people's, people's health, but also their everyday performance, right? In the beginning, it was, you know, some of us athletes and we were really focused on obviously performance, but people uh, that are not athletes are just focused on, 
you know, pr- premium everyday performance, right? Having energy and and feeling great and being able to, you know, get up early in the morning and be productive and still go to the kids' baseball game at night and do homework and just have energy and and have good everyday performance. So that's we focus on that. I mean, health is a component on that, but just kind of that everyday output, and then uh, planetary responsibility and food justice, and then of course as I mentioned earlier, the ethics of, of the whole thing, but the, the food justice, the dietary injustice has been the cornerstone of a lot of our work in the last couple of years. A, no one was really doing it the way that we're doing it. Uh, Most of the time in our movement, when you think about, or you hear about dietary injustice, food injustice, it's mostly or underserved humans that are living next to factory farms, right? And they're having like the pig crap sprayed on their yard, right? Which is a severe form of dietary injustice. But not many people were talking about what are we forcing on our children in school? And this is an example of dietary injustice. We work on it in a, few, in a variety of different ways. Um, but you mentioned the Ad Soy Act. And when you start to dig in and you look back, you see that cow's milk was put into schools as part of the National School Lunch Program uh, post-World War II. So we're going back like 70, 77, 76 years ago. And it was simply because when the war was over, we had a lot of commodity on on hand. The United States did because we were feeding a lot of the allied forces in the war. And then all of a sudden it's over, we're not feeding them. And so Truman, who I'm sure had good intentions at the time, it was like, okay, dairy, we can dump that in schools, right? There's all these children. Well, first of all, schools are segregated. (laughs) Only white children in school and white children are only about 10, 15% intolerant to um, drinking cow's milk. So that happens and nobody really asks any questions. Seems like, okay, that makes sense. And then multiple acts and amendments have taken place since then. But now we have an incredibly culturally diverse country and we have a lot of black and brown children and children from all sorts of different cultures, including our own Native Americans that are very lactose intolerant, upwards of 85%. And so we have a situation where more than half of the children in our school system, which is 50 million children, and 30 million of those are on the breakfast and lunch school program. Uh, Some of them so food insecure, they may not get dinner when they go home. And so they actually need a beverage that offers a solid macronutrient profile. We get a lot of flack from from folks who write in and go, because you could tell the Add Soy Act, we're looking to add soy in as a choice next to dairy milk for these kiddos. Are like, why soy? I mean, it's got to be organic. And I don't mean to say it like that, but that's how they write in. And it's like, you have the means to, as I said earlier, have your rice milk here and your almond milk here and your oat milk here. And your the, the, these kiddos don't have this choice and they need a, a full macronutrient profile. They need the six grand, grams of protein for pint, right? And not many of the other milks offer that. In fact, it would be, uh, it would really not serve the children if you did like a coconut milk or something. It's delicious, but it's like 40% fat. So we had to be very selective and very careful about what we chose. But what we're trying to do is put soy milk in. It's it's the simplest bill you've ever read. The Congress and Senate, I think, have ever have ever introduced because it's it's literally that simple for all of the children whose cow's milk makes sick. 
And it's a lot of them. And you can see it in the waste about 30%, 29.8%, which is from a USDA report, not our mouth, their mouth was thrown away. Cartons of milk were thrown away, unopened, untouched hmm. in 2021. So wow. what are the kids? They they either don't like it or it makes them feel horrible. I mean, those are the pretty much the two reasons that you can come up with that they're just like, and why is it being placed on their tray, right? Because that's how the school lunch program works. And that's how the schools get reimbursed for the milk. And so it's it's a huge problem. It's a huge waste problem that the school lunch program is a billion dollars a year. So that's $300 million of our tax dollars that just go wow. drop right into the trash can. Wow. $300 million getting dropped in the trash can and a program that's supposed to help children get some nourishment that's actually not helping them. So it's it's two things. And, and it's actually three or four. Like Food waste is one of the worst yeah. possible things for our, our environment. And then think about all these cows that are suffering, uh, you know, and their babies being taken away, like all for nothing, like, but so the milk can get thrown in the garbage. So yeah, it's... You, you have a place where people can actually take action on this on, on switch for good. And I just want to make sure people know about it. Can you tell Thank us about you. that? Yeah, it's super easy. Just go to switch for That's the number four. I'm sure you maybe put it in the um, show notes, uh, mm-hmm. Sonia. And uh, it's, it's really right above the fold. And it says our ad soy act gives kids healthier choices at school. And you just literally click on the button that says help our kids. And you can then send a letter. There's a pre-written letter or you can write your own. And then you put in your address, which will then help the system uh, select your Congress person and your two senators. And that's where it will go. And we've, we've sent in uh, over 20,000 letters so far. It's, it's very important for the Congress and Senate senators to hear from their constituents. They want to hear what y'all want to happen. So everybody, not everybody, but some people think, oh, I'm really going to go. A letter is going to matter. Yes, it, it matters. It matters. And you'll get one back. There's a lot. I've read some really interesting mm-hmm. letters that are coming back from different uh, Congress folks and senators. They're, they're very aware of the bill. It was introduced in the Senate just about six weeks ago uh, by an incredible bipartisan staff, if you will, of of senators. So of course we have um, Booker on there. We also have uh, Senator Wicker from Louisiana mm-hmm. and who's Republican. And then also, I'm sorry, he's from Mississippi. And then from Louisiana, we have John Kennedy, who's also Republican. And then Booker, obviously Democrat. And then John Fetterman, who's Democrat from Pennsylvania, which is a pretty big dairy state. And mm-hmm. he's just, that guy just takes no bull. He's just like, it's the right thing to do. They need a choice. You know, nobody's trying to take dairy out of school yet. But yes, it's it's so it the, the bipartisanship of it is is incredible. Same thing in, in Congress uh, as a bipartisan bill, which you can't get anything past these days without having it be bipartisan. So it's a it's a push now is a big, big, big push. So if people were right in, we'd really appreciate it. Yeah, we'll definitely put a link in the show notes for that. And okay, cool. I just keep thinking about you have such a high level of agency. Like you believe that you can go and make change in the world, even against what could some would view as like a an insurmountable problem. Mm-hmm. Like some people think, well, I, I can't make a change. I can't write into my senator. It's not going to matter. But you are showing people that yes, actually it does matter whenever you do these things. Or I'm just one person. You know, maybe I do care about the climate, but if I change the way that I do things, 
it's actually not going to matter. They're, they're going to, I've heard people say, well, if I don't eat animals or I don't eat drink milk or whatever, they're still going to make it anyway. So yeah. what difference does it make if I do it? But you are demonstrating across many different topics here that the act of one person matters and that we actually should do the thing that we believe in. Yeah, that's well said. I, I mean, I think I look at it, Sonia, like I don't, I don't seem to have the DNA to not fight because I've, there's all sorts of days where it's just like, okay, this is not working. <laughs> it's just, you have those days often. And then I think of the alternative, which is do something else, right? With my life. It's plenty, I'm sure it could come up with definitely things where I make more money, not nonprofit, <laughs> but I just always come back to, I, I just, I, I don't think I could live with myself if I wasn't fighting. I, I just wouldn't, I don't know. I, it, you just, it's just, it's just kind of ingrained. It just feels like if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Right. Because I'm pretty sure it's going to work. It, you know, or is, is, is probably going to maybe become more of a reality. I won't live to see it. I'm not sure. I don't know. I, I think I could live to see dairy fold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and if I'm in my grave, I'll be dancing. That's for sure. But I don't know how I could look at myself in the mirror in the morning if I wasn't fighting. I just, I just have to, mm-hmm. That's, you know, I, yeah, I know. And I, I love it, but I, I like people to hear that you should fight for the things that you believe in yeah. and you should believe in yourself and the impact that you can make in the world. Because I think a lot of people feel helpless and whatever, you know, we believe, yeah. I think, I mean, I think eating plant-based for all the reasons is a really good thing Mm -hmm. to fight for. And there's other things that people want to fight for too, that are important. So finding, finding it within yourself to not be helpless and to not say that my actions don't matter. Mm -hmm. You must feel that way too, or you wouldn't be doing all that you're doing where it's just like you've, you don't, do you feel like, you know, if you're going to win or lose, but you just keep going or do you feel like, you know, well, I think it's because it's it's not about winning or losing. It's about making change. And sometimes that doesn't happen quickly. And whether it's an external change or an internal change, mm. it's about the actions that you take that really matter. And those actions over time compound into something really big. And athletes know that. There's many athletes listening to this podcast where how many days are you going out doing something and you feel like nothing's happening and then something happens and you look yeah. back and say, oh, it was all those small things that I did over time where I felt like nothing was happening. Yeah. That's very well said. I wanted to make it just about winning and losing. <laughs> you're, you're, that was so much deeper. It's so much more eloquent. I love it. So I want to ask about soy. You know, you have this, your podcast, you guys have a, like about 300 episodes, I think on your show. It's like a pretty, pretty big show. You covered many, many things. Same on this podcast. So people have maybe heard this before, but maybe they haven't. People might've been hearing add soy. Well, soy is bad for all the myths about soy. Can you demystify soy for us? That way people who are hesitant about it can know that they're in good hands. And it's backed up by many, many, many people who have been on your podcast and mine who are researchers, physicians, dietitians. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, look at Walter Willett's work out of Harvard. Like if you really want to dive into who's done some of the best, uh, best research, but it's, I think it's, I don't know, it's gotten very complicated because the dairy industry has spent a fair amount of money trying to make it complicated and complex, but it's a, it's a bean, you know, it's like we could have garbanzo milk or black <laughs> bean milk or kidney bean milk, but 
that just wouldn't taste that good. It's, you know, it just happens that soy tastes good. I mean, people like tofu, not all people, but you and I do. And soy milk is thick and creamy and delicious. I mean, anytime I ever ask anybody if they're just drinking a milk straight, sometimes it's almond because they like the taste of almonds, but it's just soy milk. Just, I mean, it's just, I think it's delicious. So it's to demystify it. It's like, it's a bean, it's a legume. And then now very popular on Netflix is Dan Buettner's show, right? Which was just off of his book about the blue zones. And there's four episodes and he does five blue zones. If I have it right, might be six, but literally all of them, like soy is the center of their diet. It is packed with fiber. It is packed with phytonutrients. It is packed with vitamins and minerals. It's a, it's a superfood. So it's the exact opposite of what the dairy industry had tried to paint it as. And I think that they did so much work on that because they knew that they they know how good it is and they know the research and they know so they 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 okay this is what we're going to have to shoot holes in they i mean they knew that very early on it has phytonutrients and phytoestrogen in there that is very protective against breast cancer ovarian cancer so you know that was a whole that was a I should say that was a study paid for that comes from a study that was paid for by the dairy industry now it's 25, 26 years ago. I used to say 20 years ago, but it's 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 even longer now. And uh, they gave rats more soy than five humans could even ever ingest in a day. So I don't know. I'm pretty sure if you give rats, you know, five times the amount of broccoli that a human could consume in one day, they're going to get tumors. Like too, too much of a good thing is a bad. I mean, it was it yeah. was an obscene study that they did. It was obscene. And so that's where that myth came from. And it, gosh, it's it's just crazy to me that it's still living. It's crazy to me that there's so many good doctors, good gynecologists, right? Like that's what I hear mostly from women. Oh, my gynecologist said I better stay away from soy. And you're like, oh, no. This is I mean, the best how, thing how you could possibly do. <laughs> it's literally the most protected thing you can do. So it's it's a superfood. And anybody that's eating it knows that, including all of the, or most of the centenarians from the blue zones. And these are the people living the longest. So those are the people I'm going to follow, whatever they're doing. And they drink a little red wine too, which I'm very glad about. But, uh, you know, that's a wonderful show for people that are like, eh, I don't know, this vegan thing's weird. Uh, but I just, I just want to know what people, not just eating, but what they're doing, how they're living, how they're experiencing the world who are the oldest people on the planet. It's, it's a, it's, it's a great four part Netflix series. Yeah. And like, as a side note to that, I like what you said. It doesn't always have to be just black and white. Like I'm never drinking any alcohol yeah. ever again, even for people like I take right. a more moderate approach. Like you don't have to be a hundred percent plant-based to make a huge difference in your life and for the world. Yeah. If you don't want to be a hundred percent, like that's fine. Like just Absolutely. trend, just trend in the direction. And and just be curious about what that's going to feel like and how you feel. And it's pretty interesting whenever you give yourself the space to not be perfect, to not do 100% yeah. and then just see what happens whenever you do that. Yeah. My favorite word that you just use in this is curiosity. Cause it's that, that's such a, it's such a fun way to live. Like, let me just try this. Let me be curious. Let me see. Oh yeah. No, I don't like that. Okay, cool. You tried it. And just, you know, I think I, I just, I think that stagnancy, 
right? Which is kind of the opposite of curiosity because you're not driving towards learning and being open is really the biggest killer, right? In our nation anyway, you know, Mm -hmm. just literal stagnancy in in life. So I I love that. I love that curiosity. I think that's so important to, to just, you know, just encourage people to do or be curious. So I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about dairy and performance because many people listening to this podcast are are interested in performance yeah. and and not only performance in sports, it's just this podcast is about how to live a high performance life and how that intersects with well-being. So how does dairy impact performance? Yeah, well, besides all of the things that we've already talked about surrounding dairy in terms of the lactose intolerance, there's also other, a lot of intolerances besides lactose intolerance with dairy and and allergies, which if you have any of those will highly impact your performance in a negative way. And I think people can see that and realize that and know that. And so many people are intolerant to it and they're dealing with a rash or hives or phlegm right? And they're not able to take really good deep breaths. They're having, you know, breathing problems, lung issues. All the, It's really, you could just kind of go from head to toe with, 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 with the issues that are connected to intolerances to dairy. But like Can I, I mentioned- really quick? Sure. Like on your website, you have a list. You have like cancer, bone density, asthma, hormones, inflammation, breathing, yeah. and there's more. Yeah. Right. And some of those are instigated by an intolerance and then others are not. So I was just going to go to inflammation for athletes. Like that's what we're constantly fighting because we are in an inflamed state a lot of the time because we're training so hard, right? Because training and being an athlete is just damage, repair, damage, repair. That's all we're doing. We have to have damage to get repair. And we are used to acute inflammation, right? If we sprain our ankle or even, you know, break a bone or something, and that's the body and, you know, rushes all of its faculties and vehicles and nutrients to heal that. And so acute inflammation is part of, but chronic inflammation is what is, uh, you know, a, a performance killer. It's a recovery killer. And that's what you see in non-athletes and just heart, heart disease, right? That's that's inflammation. There's inflammation and blocked arteries and, and you know, where the blood can't go through. So any type of inflammation in your body is going hib- to inhibit that repair and recovery process. And dairy is a highly inflammatory food. So if it, you don't have an intolerance, I mean, and, and that's what I noticed, because like I mentioned earlier, I am not intolerant at all. I can drink a gallon of milk and like, you know, I don't throw up, everything's fine. But so when I dropped it, that's kind of what, and I wasn't ready for what was going to happen. Like I didn't know any of this stuff back then, but I just felt less inflamed, cleaner, leaner, more fluid. It just like putting the the the, the soy milk in and, get, and, and getting that whey protein out, which is just some nasty ass stuff. If you ever see whey curdled and how they make it, <laughs> um, bleh, that'll turn you off right there. But that was the difference for me because I wasn't having the the issues from the intolerance. I wasn't having the the stuffy nose and the hard to breathe, and you know, I wasn't experiencing that. It's just just the inflammation, getting the inflammation out. Yeah, a, a change that I experienced was that I used to get basically chronic sinus infections, ah. and I changed my diet over ten years ago. But like, I've had very, f- I've had a few, of course. Like, you're not invincible when you change your diet to plant based, but right. it went from something that I would have all the time to something that I rarely had. That's incredible. I have heard that before with sinus infections. I mean, and I, I, I tend to lean in on it probably being the dairy 
more than, you know, taking that out more than some of the other aspects, but it could be everything. But that is, that's exciting because they're horrible. Sinus infections are, oh my gosh, it's so, it's so painful right in here. Yeah. That's so good. Something that I mentioned earlier, we were talking about eating disorders and disordered patterns of eating, Mm -hmm. which are different. Something that I experienced myself is I never had an eating disorder, but I definitely had a, a disordered relationship with food. Okay. And always trying to control things. And I, I don't want to go too much into it. But basically, when I changed my diet to plant based, all those problems, the, the disordered relationship I have with food went away completely, like obsessing over things, trying to control things, the remorse and guilt, like all that stuff just went away. And it was something that I struggled with for a very long time. So if people think about restriction, like, oh, if I change this thing, I'm going to restrict. And, and of course, like you should do this safe, safely if, if you are you know, getting triggered, but there is opportunity there to actually heal yourself. And it, it makes sense because if you're eating in a way that doesn't harm the world, it doesn't harm other beings, and it isn't harming yourself, of course, that that could provide an opportunity to heal yourself. Yeah. I, I just... I, I found like freedom in food and I went plant-based. I, I, yeah. Cause it just, it's kind of hard to describe until someone tries it. Right. But there's just something about sitting down to a meal that is peace and not violence. Mm-hmm. It just feels different. It feels different looking at it. It feels different chewing it and tasting it and being full from it and getting energy from it it's just different. And I feel the same way. And I I can't necessarily put my finger on the freedom part from any kind of disordered behavior, but I can say that I eat a lot of food. I've always been able to put down a lot of food Mm -hmm. and I have no thoughts about food ever any day, any moment, Mm -hmm. any time. I mean, it's kind of crazy from, Mm -hmm. from the past. And I did do a hell of a lot of work on myself. So, I mean, that, that, Mm -hmm. that is a part of it, but I don't know that I wouldn't have gone back like post athletic career to, you know, as I'm aging and heading towards menopause, like getting weird around food again. I don't Mm -hmm. know. It's just, I never think about it. Mm -hmm. I eat when I'm hungry. I don't when I'm not. I mean, I, you know, eat too much chocolate sometimes and then I don't worry about it and it's dark chocolate. I eat it. I just, it's just, (laughs) it's it's, it's just, it's very cool. I I mean, I don't, I don't, I love how it feels where it's just, um, it's it's not so here, right? It's just really kind of in a, in, in a heart centered place, mm-hmm. and it just is fun to eat peaceful food. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I'll give people a quick resource. Um, Dr. Gregor has a new book. I don't know if this is coming out before or after the book launch, but he came on the show to talk about it and it's how how not to age. So it talks about plant based yeah. diets and eating and and aging and and those types of things. And I think that is of of a keen interest for many people. Yeah, no doubt. Right. Because it, the, the, before that he had the book, How Not to Die, which is fantastic, but we're going to die. And uh, so I, I I bet this one's going to do really well because that's that's what everyone's after is longevity, right? Mm-hmm. Like, how do I how do I not yeah. age? And how do I mean, people are like, you know, gonna, figuring out how they're going to freeze themselves and wake up again in 40. <laughs> Austin like, Powers. Oh <laughs> right, exactly. It's like, that's a little extreme, but yeah, very cool. Can I ask one more question? Yeah. Yeah. It's about identity. And I, mm-hmm. I know it's kind of a long question, probably not an easy answer, but like you retired from the sport, you achieved the highest level that you could possibly achieve in sport. And that's a really hard transition for many to switch away from your sole identity and everything is is about the Olympics or becoming this thing and then doing Mm -hmm. something different. 
Like what was that transition like for you? And what is your relationship like with cycling now? Yeah. As I mentioned earlier, I found the sport very late at 26. Mm. And as much as I thought that was a big hurdle I was going to have to overcome, like not having started when I was 10, it's really been in retirement, the greatest gift because I started so late. I I already had like a, a, a full life prior to even finding cycling. Like I had, a, you know, it was 26. I had already had like two or three different jobs and in, in, in a career that I was starting. And, and so since it wasn't seeded into my identity at seven, right. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, that's what so many uh, Olympians, you know, their stories, like I've been mm-hmm. doing this since I was five and everyone told me I was going to then do this with it. So I didn't have that identity as a as a young person and I already had a life before cycling and no one in their right mind was telling me I was going to become an Olympian. So nobody put that expectation. I didn't even, it wasn't even clear that it was even a possibility until I'd say like maybe five years before where mm. it was like, so those two things, which I think are the greatest pressures that, that people experience and why they have such a hard time in retirement and such a hard time with identity. I didn't have those two pressures. Mm-hmm. So my transition was like vegan butter. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, cool. That was fun. Like it yeah. was just, I was ready to, like, I actually made a comeback in 2014. Cause mm-hmm. I thought, Oh my God, I'm plant-based. Maybe I can stay on the podium at 44. Mm-hmm. Cause I did it from like, why? And my husband and I moved to Colorado Springs to the Olympic Training Center. And I got mm-hmm. back in with the team and I trained the whole mm-hmm. summer with them. And at the end of it, I just thought, I just thought, I don't know. I've already done this. It, it just didn't, it, I wasn't curious anymore to your mm-hmm. point. I, I was like, I know what it's, I know this whole journey. I don't know what'll happen at the end, but I know the whole journey I've already. And, and so I was just very unenamored by, it was really interesting. I'm glad I did it because I think I would have yeah, said, what if, like if I didn't go back in, I had a really great mentor that was like, you can't just talk about it and train with your husband in Orange County and have great, you need to go back into the trenches with the girls and, you know, and, and I listened to him and I, I'm, I'm glad I did it, but my heart goes out to those athletes, there's so many that started so young and it, that was their entire identity was formed as that athlete. And then I, I can't tell, you know, all the stories and, and I know so I'm close to some of them that it's just, they're still just not feeling fulfilled mm-hmm. post, you know, like Olympic career. It's tough. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks so much for sharing that. I wish I had asked that in the beginning, but it was it's like, well, I want to get into the plant-based stuff. There's just so many things I could ask you because yeah. you've done so much. Well, where can people find Switch for Good and find more about you and your podcast? Yeah, well, Switch for Good is is Switch, the number four good on everything. Mm -hmm. Like, well, so that's Mm -hmm. super easy. And the the website and and Instagram and I am like, you know, I'm I'm like old. So I just, I'm not, I do social media. I, but I've been around long enough that vegan Olympian was available on Instagram when I got it. And so that's where I am on Instagram, except I, I'm never on there, but but Switch is very active. So mm-hmm. yeah, check that out if, if, if somebody's curious. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. It was thanks great to finally meet you. you. And I wish I could give you a real hug and I hope we get to see each other in person and go for a ride sometime. That would be amazing. Thank you so much. 
I hope you enjoyed that episode with Dottie. I was so glad to finally get to chat with her and I hope that someday I get to meet her in person. A gift of this podcast is being able to speak with so many amazing individuals over the last almost seven years. And the amount of joy and knowledge and passion and inspiration it's brought into my life. And I hope that it is also bringing that into yours. Thanks so much for listening to this show. Please make sure to share the show with your friends and hit that subscribe button or leave us a review as that helps the show find others. And as always, I'm with you on this journey of personal growth, adventure, and our mission to be better every day. I'll see you right back here next week.